I, I have to remind myself that that front knob, the first knob, is not the front burner, that's the back burner. I reverse them in my mind. When you leave a message and you leave your phone number, many of you will hear the phone number and you write it down. I will have to listen to the message four or five times, literally, because I can't get the number in the one shot, and then I'll only get like the first three numbers, and then I'll check and try to get the next three numbers, and I'll get the next four numbers, and then I'll listen to it again to make sure I uh, transpose the numbers correctly, and a lot of times, you know, without even thinking, numbers will be reversed. That, that was a challenge that I have and still have today. How many know that just because you end school, the challenges don't stop? The challenges continue as we go into life. And I want to remind the graduates uh, um, that as you continue, you will continue to have encounters. You will still have challenges to, 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 to go through. But Here's the good news. The good news is this. That when you confront those new challenges, you can remember all the successes you have under your belt already. You say, well, what successes? What have I encountered? What successes have I had? Well, all of you have graduated from your mother's womb and have successfully adjusted to life outside. Secondly, you have successfully graduated potty training and infancy, I hope, because you were successful in that first day of going to kindergarten. And I'm sure every one of you have a picture of that first day at kindergarten. Third, many of you have graduated pre-adolescence and you have navigated yourself through those difficult teen years. And now to our high school graduates, and to our college graduates, now begins the successful journey of adulthood. And you may be wondering, how can I continue the success through my adult life? Well, I want to share with you some three guidelines that have been guidelines to me in navigating this journey called life. And I want to share with the graduates and I want to share with all the congregants that how we can guarantee success as we navigate through the difficulties of what we call life. When I was in eighth grade, I grew up in a very rural area, northwest New Jersey, a town called Califon. Jim Matthews knows where it is. And Jim, you even know where Philhauer Avenue is. There is such a street as Philhauer Avenue. It's a town of about 800. There were 20 in my eighth grade class. And for some unknown reason, the eighth grade teacher decided, Mrs. Getz, that she wanted to start training us in public speaking. Well, if you know the classic symptoms of dyslexia, public speaking is just disastrous. So after lunch, she made this schedule of all 20 students of when they would go. So we would go once a month, and we would have to get an inspiring story. Now, remind yourself, this is 47 years ago before the days of Google where you can in, uh, uh, search inspiring story. So we would get stories from usually Reader's Digest, or she wanted you to read a newspaper article on a current event. 
Uh, honestly, I didn't care about current events. I didn't care about inspirational stories. With someone who had troubles reading and, and pronouncing words and petrified of standing up and talking to people, the only thing I looked for is something that was the shortest. And I remember my first month, it was my turn after lunch to get up and to read. I stuttered, I stumbled, I felt weak, I broke out in a cold sweat, I kept everything to do from crying, it was a total disaster, I got through it, I sat down, and the class was just like that, total silence. Where either they felt sorry, or they were totally embarrassed. But how do I cope? The following month, when it was my turn to go, I had the privilege all through my grammar school days of walking home for lunch. And all throughout my grammar school days, from, from kindergarten to eighth grade, if I stayed at school for 10 days for lunch, that would have been a lot during all those years. My grandmother lived right around the corner. I could go to my grandmother's house. I could walk home. And I walked home for lunch during grammar school. When it was my turn to go that day after lunch, Mom, I don't feel good. And I stayed home. The following month when it was my turn, Mom, I don't know. Was that egg salad a little old? It's doing something to my stomach. I don't feel good. Well, how many know that the teacher soon caught on to the pattern? and had a conference with my mom. One of the greatest hazards to success is fear. One of the greatest hazards to success is fear. While all fear is not bad, and I'm sure that every one of us at one time or another have been afraid, when fear immobilizes you, when fear paralyzes you, when fear keeps you from doing your responsibility, when fear keeps you from doing what you're called to do, how many know fear needs to be dealt with? My first guideline in the uh, uh, little sermon notes is you have to face your fears. Paul writes these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 2. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity or the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or of self-control. What's so interesting is Timothy is, is probably a, he, he's a young pastor. He's probably a little bit older than some of our college graduates at this time. Timothy has a mentor. His name is Paul. And what's so interesting is in the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy must have been a little unsure of himself. He, he must have been a little scared. He, he must have felt a little intimidated by those who were older in the congregation. And in 1 Timothy, Paul gives these words. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't be intimidated because of your youthfulness. Don't look at, let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example in speech 
and in life and in love and in faith and in purity. And then the second letter, Paul says, listen, any cowardness in this life, any cowardness in this life doesn't come from God because he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. And it's almost like Paul, in training Timothy, says, Timothy, you have to face your fears and rise above. At the age of 15, when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, <laughs> before then, if, if someone, when I was in 8th grade, if, if someone told me I was going to be a preacher, I would have said, you're crazy. When I received the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in me. And now I do know this about the Holy Spirit. He's a counselor. He's a comforter. And he gives us power. And all of a sudden, as a result of the Spirit taking residence in me, I had power to overcome my fear. There was a comfort, there was a counselor who came alongside of me and said, listen, I've called you in the ministry and you don't have to worry about public speaking because the one who is greater in you is greater than he that is in the world. If you ever want to do an interesting study, take a, take a look at Peter before Pentecost. If you take a look at Peter before Pentecost, very impetuous. Right before the day of Pentecost, we find him not even wanting to associate with Jesus. I, I, I don't even know who you're talking about. We see him flat out deny who Jesus is. And we see him running off, running away. But after the day of Pentecost, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It says on that day of Pentecost that Peter stood and he addressed the crowd that day. And, and, and 3,000 were added to the kingdom of God that day. Later we see him healing a lame man and was he going into the temple. And then he had to go before the Sanhedrin. Remember when he had to give an account for the healing of the lame man? He went before the highest ruling governing body. And as he stood there and he addressed the Sanhedrin... Do you remember what the Sanhedrin said about him? They recognized that he was unschooled, ordinary, but that he had been with Jesus. Let me tell you something. Being with Jesus makes all the difference in the world where you can face your fears with confidence. Secondly, Forget your failures. Let me just add also, learn. Not just forget, but learn from your failures. My father had this saying. This is how I was raised. Freddie, he would call me Freddie. Now don't be starting to call me Pastor Freddie. We'll have a problem here. <laughs> Freddie, there's no such thing as a mistake. Everything is a learning experience. Wow. There's no such thing as a mistake. Everything is a learning experience. 
I want to read from my favorite book in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. Now, this passage is usually read at the beginning of, of, of the year, but to the graduates and to all of us, to me, I think it's an important guideline on facing challenges. Paul is in prison. He's bound in chains next to a guard, and we know the conditions are not real favorable. And in that, he writes this. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Not that I have already attained this, or have already been made perfect. What's he saying? Not that I have already attained this or been made perfect. He's talking about Christ-likeness. Paul's desire throughout life, throughout his journey, was to be like Jesus. Not that I've already attained all this, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. I, I don't consider myself Christ-like. I don't consider myself mature. But there's one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. Now, if there was ever someone, it was good for him to forget what was behind. Do you remember Paul when he was Saul? He was persecuting the church and he even gave his approval to the stoning of Stephen. If there was ever one who needed to forget his past, it was Saul. And straining to what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you know that, that Paul had enrolled in CU? You know what CU is? Christ-likeness university. And he majored to get a degree in Christ-likeness. For Paul, his journey in Christ was to be like him. And if there was something he needed to do, he learned from his past, and he knew that his past, his past failures could have been destructive to his life. And that's why he said, forgetting what is behind, because that could have been so destructive, that could have been such a roadblock from him pursuing forward. He refused to let his failures become a roadblock, beset his journey in life. If, if you're ever having difficulties overcoming your failures, there's an excellent book by John Maxwell entitled Failing Forward. Failing Forward, an excellent book that talks about handling failures, the failures in your life. Paul knew in order to have an attitude with this journey to be Christ-like. He forgot what laid behind that was so destructive. And he was going to pursue ahead with a positive mental attitude. It's kind of strange that I'll give you this one as well, but probably one of, the, one of my top ten books is one by John Maxwell called A Winning Attitude. A Winning Attitude. It's an older book but I'll tell you what, there was a period in my life where I didn't have the best attitude. And after I read that book, A Winning Attitude, uh, it made all the difference in my life. And, and I say that kind of strange because I remember a day that was a total train wreck for me. It was March 1990. 
my wife and I were at the district office interviewing for the district youth director's position to be nominated. In order to be nominated, you had to sit through an interview, and, and it was probably one of the most intimidating times of my life to, to have all the district officials there to have lead pastors. And not only that, the national youth director, the former national youth director, now had pastored a church in Princeton, Nassau Christian Center, Tony Severo, he was on the committee. I mean, I walked in with my knees knocking. I felt like I was in eighth grade once again, having to uh, do public speaking. The interview, I had been a youth pastor for eight years. The interview was going well. It was almost at the end when Tony Severo, it seems like just like yesterday, I remember this question, he asked this question other than the bible what five books have made a profound impact upon your life if i were to ask you that question beside the bible what five books have made a profound impact upon your life what would you say and what you're saying right now is what i said i had a mental block. At that time in my life, I was not a big reader. I would just look at different chapters, and I couldn't give five books other than the Bible that made a profound impact upon my life. And instead of just them letting the question drop, they kept pursuing. Well, do you read? And my wife would say, yes, he reads. Well, what books have you read? So my mind went back to sophomore year in high school to literature class. Well, I've read The Old Man in the Sea. <laughs> oh, that's good. But what five books have made a profound impact upon your life? Well, do you do a devotional reading? Yes. Well, what book do you use for your devotional reading? The Bible. Well, what about magazines? Do you, do you subscribe to magazines? Do you read any magazines? Well, yeah, I, I, I subscribe to Runner's World and I read articles in there. Jeff, let me ask a question. Other than the Bible, what five books? Have you read that have made an impact upon your life? Paul says, forget about the things in the past. I still have nightmares over that question. But I'll tell you what. I have never since gone to an interview without knowing my five books that have made an impact upon my life. And it was from that I learned that as a minister, you need to continue to educate yourself and it was from that failure I learned I needed to read. And today, I can give you books like Andrew Murray and A.J. Tozier and R.J. Kendall and Spurgeon and Maxwell. You, you have to face your fears and you have to learn from your failures and move forward. Next and last, thank you, Joe.
That's a good son-in-law there. Third, and probably this is the most important, with facing your fears and forgetting your failures, how important it is that you need to follow your faith in this journey called life. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews was written to Christians who were struggling with their faith. There was this wavering of devotion to Christ and and there was a great outbreak of persecution among the church. So the writer to the Hebrews, he's encouraging Christians not to give up, not to throw in the towel but to be victorious over the persecutions. And he says these words. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and what's he reminding the readers is, listen, just about the time you want to give up, Go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. Go back and look at this former list of all those who persevered and were victorious in their faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance Let us run with endurance the race that is marked out before you. Following your faith is not a game of tiddlywinks. How many remember tiddlywinks? All right. The first service, Lisa Maneri was cracking up as Gianna asked her, what's tiddlywinks? So, Let me put it in a nowaday illustration. Following the Lord Jesus Christ, following your faith with perseverance and endurance, it's not a video game that you sit on the couch with the controller and if you don't like how the game is going, you press the reset button. You hear me? I wish in this journey called life, There was a reset we could do over if we didn't like how something was going. But this journey is not a game, and we need to follow our faith. So the writer to the Hebrews tells them, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart or give up. This past Christmas, a nine-year-old girl from our church gave me a Christmas card. Her name is Ashley Malone. And I keep it in my Bible. And the other day I I realized how prophetic this Christmas card was back in Christmas 
before we knew of all the things that were going to take place in 2020. The advice she gave to me is the same advice I give to all the graduates and to all of you in this journey called our Christian life. Thank you for being the pastor. It's not easy to be the pastor, but you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Now, in this journey of life, Paul says to Timothy, I mean, the writer to the Hebrew says, you need a reference point. you got to fix your eyes on Jesus. How many know that as we walk through life, you need a reference point? Now, I am not one that likes GPS. If I'm going somewhere that I've never been there before, I can't get in the car and listen to a voice that says, go one and a half miles and turn left. Go down another 13 miles and at a certain road, take a right. Where, when I'm going somewhere I've never been before, I need to get the whole map out and I need to see where I'm at and I need a reference point of where I'm going. I need to see it. And not only do I need to see it, along that journey, I need some reference points. Like when I used to travel down to Lexington, Virginia to visit my parents. I don't know if you know this or not, but, and I'm sure that some of you have seen it, but between Chambersburg and Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, on Route 81, how many has ever seen the big uh, Benjamin Moore paint can? There's this huge paint can on Route 81 between Chambersburg and Shippensburg. That was my reference point because I knew when I got to that paint can, I was halfway there. What am I saying? We know where we're going. Our journey ends in heaven. But along the way, we need some reference points. I remember in my running day years, I did the New York Marathon twice. And I would ask different people, you know, who had ran it before, what's the key? They said, your key is to focus on Central Park. When you're at the Verrazano Bridge and you start to race, visualize Central Park. And to my mind, I'm thinking, that's 26.2 miles away. I need something a little closer. So when I ran the marathon twice, my first focal point was the Pulaski Bridge. The Pulaski Bridge that took you out of Brooklyn because I'd been running in Brooklyn for 13 miles. And now when I got to the Pulaski Bridge, I would cross over that bridge into Queens and I knew I was halfway. From there, I knew I had three more miles before I would pass, pass over the Queensboro-Manhattan Bridge. When I got to that bridge, I knew I would do this big jug handle and I would run up First Avenue in Manhattan for four miles. And at the end of four miles, I would come to Willis Ave. Willis Ave was the key point in the marathon because that was the 20-mile mark. That's when they so-called marathoners hit the wall. And I knew I had to go 
past Willis Ave. I knew I had to go past that, that 20 mile marker because I would only, I would take a left and I would run three miles in Harlem. And after three miles, miles in Harlem, I would get to Central Park. Once I got to Central Park, I knew I only had 3.2 miles left and it was easy to focus on the focus line. What am I saying? In this journey in life, we know where we're going, but along the way, we need to have reference points. Graduates, those who are graduating high school, going off to college, let me tell you, it's easy to lose focus your freshman year in college. It's easy to get sidetracked. A reference point is this. Reference point. Make sure you have your daily devotions every day. Reference point number two. Make sure you connect with some campus ministry that you can be accountable to. Focus point number three. Make sure you join some local church in that community that you can be accountable for. Number four, if you are starting to struggle, remember that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone on, email Pastor Jamal, text Pastor Jamal, contact Pastor Matt. These guys have gone on before and can give you advice. And remember, reference point number five, that when you feel like giving up, Remember, there's a pastor at First Assembly in God in Freehold who loves you, who puts you on his prayer list and is praying for you. And when you come home at Thanksgiving, the first question he's going to have for you is, so what campus ministry group have you joined? In this journey called life, we are going to face many challenges. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, He gives you the power and the confidence and the confidence to face your fears. Secondly, learn from your failures and then put them behind. Third, follow your faith with reference points along the way. That nothing can deny you from reaching your eternal reward in heaven and becoming more like Christ. Graduates, congratulations. Congregants, fight the good fight of faith. Pastor Bonnie, could you come? Worship team, can you come? We're going to invite all the graduates to come and stand on the mat. We're going to pray with them. Pastor Todd has a closing prayer. We're going to sing one closing song, and then all the graduates are asked to come down front. And uh, God bless you. Jesus. Father God, you have a plan for every life that is up here today. Father God, you fearfully and wonderfully made each one of these students. Father God, I pray that as they just enter this next phase of their life, that Lord God, you would speak to them. 
Father God, that they would just feel your direction and guiding in their lives. As they enter into college, as they enter into high school, Father God, I pr- as they enter into the workforce, I pray that you would guide them and give them wisdom about who, Father God, they choose to be the influencers in their lives. Father God, I pray that you would light a fire in each of their hearts, Lord God, that they would be so hungry and so on fire for you, Lord God. Father, I pray that they would be a light, Father God, in each place that they are going to be, Father. Let them to shine brightly for you, Lord God. Father God, I pray that as you call them to be leaders in each of their situations, that, Lord God, you would just help them to influence Father, whether it's in businesses or colleges or high schools, Father God, you want them to be leaders. And I pray that you would empower them, Father God, to be a witness, to be a light to to their places that they're going to be. I pray that, Lord God, as our college students are, are finishing up college or entering college, God, is a big time of decisions, Lord God. And I pray that you would lead and guide them, give them wisdom, Father God, help them to hear your heart. And that, Father God, you would just protect them, Father. Father, I pray for our high school kids as they are just beginning to think about what it is they want to do, Father God. I pray that you would guide and lead them and shape them, Father God. May they hear your voice and your calling. Father God, thank you for their lives. Father, I pray that you would use them mightily and that not only would they grow in in stature and grow in education and intelligence, but they would grow spiritually, Father. Father God, just thank you that we have have had a privilege and continue to have the privilege of being here as a church to support them. And Father God, I pray that we would just hear awesome things about how you're using them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who their lives are in your hands, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.